What's going on, you freaking animals? Thanks for the click. This is the Intelligently Resigned Show. I am your host, Adrian, podcasting to you from the nether regions of the Innertron. Uh, more specifically, my living room in beautiful Honolulu, Hawaii. And I am sitting here with my friend, Jarris. Jarris, thanks so much for joining me on the show, man. I uh, really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It's just me, you, and the Roosters on uh, weekday morning. Sure, yeah, listening to Roosters on the on the former compound. That's right. Yeah, you used to live with us here on the compound. Uh, you and your wife and two daughters have since uh, picked up and gotten the hell out of here. Uh, we miss you, but how did you enjoy it at the time? Oh, it's great. You know, it's uh, it's a little weird living right on top of one another, but uh, it was always nice to be crooned to sleep at night with a little Sinatra, you know. Uh, my mom is actually always talking about how she, she misses the sound of your voice. Oh, that's adorable. And you're lucky because you didn't live here while I got the trombone. It's true. Uh, I miss the rusty trombone. Yeah. Or actually unlucky, I guess. <laughs> so Jairus, uh, you, you're a good looking guy. You are, you're without a doubt a nerd. I, I don't know, you know, if there's a difference between geek or nerd. I mean, is, there's a little nuance there. Uh, is there anyone yeah. that you prefer that you more uh, associate and identify with? You know, I think nerd's fine. Uh, dark square glasses versus round glasses, uh, fastidious attention to detail versus fat computer slob. Isn't, I think that the difference. So yes, yes. You're not quite fat, right? I'm, I'm, I'm at the tipping point. I think is what Malcolm Gladwell would say. Are you getting doughy? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely doughy. It's, uh, it it is both the the curse and the charm of fatherhood. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that in high school, Let's see. You probably uh, you got to first base. You tried to steal second base, but how how did that go? Uh, I'm gonna remain Johnny Cash on this one. Uh, <laughs> a lover tells no tales. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, did you at least get into drugs or anything, or was it at, was it just Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, no Dungeons and Dragons either. Uh, I was definitely a nerd, but uh, I was kind of a, a music and debate nerd. And uh, given my uh, paternal bloodline uh, addiction seemed like a bad idea. So I, I'm, I mostly steered away from, from drugs and alcohol. I was, I was like the model kid uh, with the exception of all sorts of other, you know, being out all night and uh, reading too much philosophy and hanging out in clubs. So I came home smelling like pot. Um, Wait, what kind of clubs? I was in a band in high school. So, oh, nice. you know, despite being a nerd, I actually like played the guitar and uh, there was actually there was really only one club in Houston you could play in if you were under 21. It was uh, the the downstairs club, which you could play in if you were really shitty. Uh, it was called Zelda's. And if you got a little bit better and you could guarantee that there was actually going to be an audience, you played upstairs at Fitzgerald's. Did you do have to do pay to play? Uh, no, 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 we never had to pay to play. Yeah. Uh, but we certainly had some nights where uh, we barely broke even on gas. Oh, know. nice. Yeah. But, you know, it was uh, it was it was fine. You know, it was a it was an old Ukrainian dance hall um, <laughs> and uh, or Polish dance hall, actually, uh, in this uh, area of Houston called the Heights. Well, I was about to give you a wedgie, but that saved you right there. Yeah. You know? yeah. OK. And then you did play football, but th- you're you're from Texas. So. Right. So it's a requirement. You yeah. know, uh, everybody plays football. The question is, if you're good enough uh, to like really play football, uh-huh. uh, I didn't really have the killer instinct uh, <laughs> and I still don't. Right. Uh, I and it, which is weird because I had a strangely had an extraordinary temper all through like junior high, high school, but uh, only off the field. Uh, once you put pads on me, I was basically just an immovable <laughs> object. So, um, you know, my virtue was that I peaked size-wise uh, when I was in the seventh grade. So I was like almost 6'3 and about 250. 
uh, as a seventh or eighth grader, which, you know, is, has its charm on the field, but not particularly enjoyable. Yeah. Did you get beat up in high school? I mean, because like, you're not like an angry nerd, but you seem like you're like, you could throw down at the, at the, you know, if required, you're ready to put up your fists and like, uh, I got in a lot of fights in junior high, uh, not that many fights in high school. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, I grew up in the burbs, uh, and you would think all would be well. Uh, it was a mostly upper middle class, uh, neighborhood. Um, but for whatever reason that, that drove, uh, packs of, uh, disaffected youth to hunt me down and beat me in large groups. <laughs> uh, I tended to get jumped by like 10 or 12 guys at a time. No shit. Uh, really? Oh yeah. And get like, you know, beaten unconscious. It wasn't, un- it wasn't that uncommon. Uh, and so my best friend and I basically, everybody else was on dirt bikes, right? Like BMX, whatever. Mm-hmm. We started riding 10 speeds, uh, cause they were fast. Uh, mm-hmm. so we could get the hell away. <laughs> it was, it was basically like, we got good at building bikes, uh, and making sure that our bikes were always dependable, uh, cause we needed an escape plan. Oh, that's crazy, man. Oh yeah. Jesus. I'm okay. glad I never, I'm glad I never had to deal with that. My, my one fight that I ever had was in third grade. Fucking Jared Stout. He thought that I didn't hit him playing dodgeball, but I totally hit him. You know, the ball changed direction and everything. And he's like, no, you didn't hit me. I was like, yeah, he did. And he comes up to me. He punches me one shot to the eye. So naturally, I, I squat down on my knees and I cover my face. And I'm like, oh. And then it took me like a little while as I was, you know, it felt like eternity. But then I finally get up and then uh, and then I punched him across the jaw. And that was the two punches that got exchanged. And that was the last fight I've ever been in. in... Uh, I'm not even sure I could count all the fights that I've been in. That's uh, fucking crazy, dude, that you were jumped. Regularly. So uh, your intellect paid off because uh, you snagged yourself a white woman, dude. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> and she loves you that you're such a, like, you're so smart. When you start nerding off, dude, she looks at you with these fucking eyes and she's just like, oh, man, it's, uh, it's like when I do dishes. You know, right. that's the equivalent when uh, for Caitlin, my wife, you know. Yeah. And it turns out that you two are very fertile. Congratulations. <laughs> we did make kids in, in an awful hurry. Yeah, you almost have Irish twins, right? Right. They're uh, 19 months apart. And then just in a sentence, how's fatherhood treating you so far? It's great. It's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, demoralizing. It's exhausting. It's, it's right? exhausting. Um, but, but it's great. The rewards are coming now. I feel like right now I'm just putting in investments and there's going to be some kind of reward later. Uh, I already think there's a reward. You know, the roughest part was when they were both in diapers and neither were sleeping. Like there was definitely a period there where because they were so close in age, you know, a good night was getting two or three hours of sleep. And every night was waking up to like two diapers that you needed to change at the same time. Uh, They for a while were able to like synchronize their shits. Uh, it was uh, it was an amazing biological phenomena, um, which only two truly loving daughters could pull off. But even then, right, like we're already missing it. Like, you know, Scout is up around. She's walking. She's talking. And we feel like we're out of babies. Uh, I think if we were five, ten years younger and a hundred thousand dollars richer, we'd probably have ten of them. You're so, crazy. Yeah. When you had your second daughter, what did I give you as a pushing present? <laughs> pushing present uh i think you actually gave it to me for christmas uh oh was it uh-huh. yeah it was a, a pack of condoms and a, and a and a very uh detailed explanation of how to use them just in case my knowledge in other areas didn't extend to the basic physics of putting rubber on 
uh-huh. And I gave you, uh, I just went for it and I complimented you. Essentially, I got you the Trojan Magnum condoms too, just in case. It's true. I, I appreciated that because I think it was actually in front of my mom. So uh, it was, it's always good um, to pull a box of condoms out, you know, in public on Christmas Day. And what else did I give you? Oh, God, I don't even remember <laughs> what went with that. <laughs> I gave you a cork. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That so was... what did you do? Where are those two things now? Uh, that's a good question. I have no idea. You know, it may have gotten lost in the move. I hate to say uh, it may be somewhere between here and Manoa, which would be sad because, you know, I can imagine generations of sea turtles choking on them. Um, <laughs> okay, so is your quiver full? Are you done having kids, you think? <laughs> That's a particularly good turn of phrase. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're done. With You're not going to go full Duggars or anything? No, 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 no. It's not going to happen. I, I mean, I think we'd like more kids, but we've decided definitively not to. I mean, the thing is, at this point in time, if you have more than two kids, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't know how you're going to put them through college. I don't know how you're going to provide them, like, basic necessities. I mean, part of it's living in Hawaii, right? Everything is, you know, kind of to the bone terms of budgeting but uh it just seems like these are the these this is the maximum number of kids we can take care of um yeah because if there's anyone though that i would hope would do 19 kids and counting (laughs) you know it's two intellectual white people you know who who are involved with their kids lives and stuff like that you know it's like the beginning of idiocracy you know where it's all the you know the stupid people are mating and the the intellectuals are just uh you know, they're worried about overpopulating the earth and shit. You know? I had a great uh, biology professor in high school. He was, you know, the closest thing I had to kind of an intellectual mentor early on. It was, you know, one of my favorites. And uh, he would always start off the section on Darwin, which would always also get him in trouble. No matter, like, how many times he taught that Darwin was just a theory and that there were other competing theories and it doesn't disprove God, there'd be, like, pickets outside no our high school every, every year. Uh, but he'd always start off and say... Uh, Darwin is an imperfect theory, and the proof of that is that the stupid humans are all breeding faster. (laughs) Not as if it were, like, you know, an invective against stupid people so much. It's just a statement of fact that we should begin all of our thinking about. So, And then, so with that in mind, let's heap some judgment on the Duggars. Okay, I'll go first. I don't even know who the Duggars are. It's the 19 and counting people. Uh, This is where I'm going to seem like a tremendous nerd. Jeez. I haven't had TV uh, since we moved to Hawaii. Uh, oh, you're so that guy? I am that guy. Uh, well, nice. they're pretty popular in the social, you know, lexicon or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what lexicon means, but um, it's that Christian family that has 19 kids, right? Okay. And they're part of the Quiverful movement. The Quiverful movement. Yeah, aren't you familiar with that? No. Jesus Christ, Jared. <laughs> I'm so out of the loop. I'm trying to show you it's off. It's like, like I'm how an smart expert of nothing. Yeah. So they have 19 kids, right? And the, and the guy, his name is like Jim Bob or something. Okay. And so he names all of the kids start with the letter J. Oh, sure. Why not? Yeah. What a fucking ego on this guy, right? Like, yeah. imagine like how great you must think you are that you need to like create a small civilization, you know, and then to name them all with your letter J, you know? And it's going to get confusing because actually Nicole and I have this theory that you can only have five kids uh, and then you run out of faces. The number of combinations yeah. actually limit, and you just start yeah. getting the same face. Yeah, uh, at least the same five faces over and over again. So yeah. I imagine it gets confusing, right, when they have the same name and the same face. Yeah, um, and so. then you can't possibly have enough time to raise this number of kids. You know, you don't have enough time in the day, and sure. you don't have you you don't have, have enough time for two. Yeah, you don't have infinite love even or like attention. You know, like the people raising those other kids is the older kids. 
Sure. Yeah, it's a franchise at that point. In time. Yeah. And then what? How fucked up is it that for the kids that end up raising their little, their younger siblings, like that's fine if you know I helped raise my my little brother just because I was ten and then I got sure. to help out and then that yeah. helped my mom, you know. But yeah. like, talk about having no choice for having to do that. Right. And then the level of responsibility yeah, is yeah. so much higher, you know. Well, I mean, like in your case, you know, it means that you and Christian are, I think, much closer than you would have been had you not kind of been part of mm. raising him. And so those uh, siblings are closer to each other than they are with their parents. Maybe. But in this case, it's not like you taking care of Christian. It's like you taking care of a herd of siblings, right? Like it, just to break it down, if you think about there being three older kids, each one of them has six, yeah. right? Like each one of them has to take care of like five or six kids at a time. Yeah. So they don't even have a close relationship with their children in this case, uh -huh. right? Like you you got to think that there's like a layered pyramid scheme going on here, right? Like the, by the time you get to the bottom, you have like three-year-olds taking care of 18-month-olds. Yeah, right. So maybe they're going to be close. Right. Uh, but the, the kids at the top, they can barely remember the names of the, the infants, right? Yeah. They're just, you know, basically the the labor organizers for the thir three and four-year-olds that are changing diapers and doing the real, you know, uh, the heavy lifting, as it were. Yeah. Uh, it's just... You know, and then also, easy. you know, when people say like, uh, you know, oh, why would you judge that? You know, and like, you know, what, what's it to you? You know, but then I would just bring up like, you know, hypothetically, what type of society would you rather live in? You know, all everything else being equal in our sure. world right now today. Like, would you rather we live it like, let's say in a country where every couple has two kids or has 19 kids? If you just had that either or. Sure. You know, then you could be like, well, I mean, me personally, I would prefer two. And then you could start to narrow it down and be like, well, what about three kids or 18 kids? You know, and then you start to come closer. Then you kind of start to the place where it's kind of like, eh, I could go either way. Yeah. Then that starts to, you know, show kind of like ideally what we would kind of prefer in a society. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it'll, it all depends on whether or not we really have to start mining coal again. Um, you know, in, in a world where we mine coal, I could see there, you know, 19 kids being a real asset, uh, just sort of cheap labor pool. Uh, oh, there was a time uh, in our society where that would be preferred and is more beneficial to a society. No, in fact, uh, one of my dissertation advisors, Siba Grovigi, uh, he grew up in Guinea in the, in the, the rainforest and he had 26 siblings. Jesus. And the, the thing that he always said is that people referred to him as the penicillin generation. And it, the reason why he had 26 siblings was not because his family decided to have that many kids, but because, you know, previous to penicillin, you thought you were going to lose most of those kids, right? So mm -hmm. you kept trying because you just hoped that a few would survive. And so, you know, I understand huge families because there's this insistence to want to have a family and to want to endure. And then, you know, sometimes like you hit the jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this idea that you like need to populate the earth, uh, but they also like a profound form of arrogance. Yeah, uh, because also case. they want to populate the earth with more Christians. That's right, part yeah, of the quiverful want... movement. Yeah, yeah, of course they, they they need to try to remake it in their own image. Yeah, but meanwhile, uh, there's 19 of them, right? And now there's grandkids, right? Sure. Yeah. So if you take that percentage, like oh, the number of people that are atheists or that are gay. You know, like out of 19 kids and then a bunch of grandkids, like how many of them are going to be uh, gay atheists? Yeah, not enough <laughs> is the answer. Not enough. Uh, one could only hope. So, Jairus, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your religious background and upbringing, because uh, it's, a, it's a little similar, no? Oh, uh, not so similar. You know, I mean, so I had the, the best you could have uh, in terms of having an evangelical background uh, in that. The church that I was raised in was at least, um, I think, 
unusually intellectual uh, for, for being an evangelical church. So it kept to a lot of the things that we kind of think of as standard evangelical attributes, right? Literal interpretation of the Bible, uh, you know, direct Young Earth? Uh, no. Uh, no. Direct access to God, right? You know, so no clergy. Uh, non-denominational, because the idea was that uh, denominations already sort of presume and impose a, an interpretation on the Bible or uh, a particular kind of theological outlook, which uh, was thought to be something you were supposed to kind of work out or work out as a church. Um, but at the very least, uh, that also lend, lent itself to an idea that, you know, you should master the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think as opposed to a lot of uh, Baptist churches I grew up around where there was not really the same kind of like intellectual insistence, right? So it was sort of encouraged uh, in the, the church that I grew up in to, to have to work through the text of the Bible. Uh, and, you know, even though uh, taking it literally puts a certain kind of cap on that, it also teaches you how to read, right? And I don't just mean like how to read, but how to read critically. And so I think in some ways, you know, it, it was it was sort of the condition of its own destruction, as it were. You know, by the time I was in high school, something had happened, right? So this church starts out as, as very much just a place where people come and debate about what the Bible means. Uh, and the the minister was thought to be kind of the expert, right? You know, he knew Greek, he knew Hebrew, uh, right? So he, he was going to tell us about, you know, the translation problems and like where he saw, you know, these particular meanings. Um, but about the time I hit late junior high, early high school, the like culture war really took over, right? So suddenly the things going on in the church are not these debates over the Bible, but like, what does our church's stand on evolution? What does our church's stand on abortion? What does our church's stand on gay marriage? Whether or not gays sh should be allowed in the church? Like, what does it mean to be gay? Is there such a thing as being gay? Or is it like posturing? Like this just exploded. And I, I don't know why, like it was interesting, you know, my experience with evangelicalism you know, had its problems, uh, but it wasn't political, right? And then it suddenly, like, overnight, it became political. Uh, and that was sort of it for me. That was the breaking point. Uh, I could hang in there when it was, you know, about, like, trying to figure out one's place in the world and, you know, like, what is the role of faith and, uh, you know, what is what is the Bible up to? Uh, but then we were getting people, like, coming into Sunday school explaining to us that, you know, fossils were forged and, um, the second law of thermodynamics meant that only God could overcome entropy, like it was his superpower. Uh, and so this was just, this was like, this was the line in the sand uh, to the point in which I felt like I actually had to be worried about going to church because uh, I just like couldn't keep my mouth shut, you know, like mm -hmm. someone would say something about how philosophy was this like satanic cult and they'd misquote Nietzsche and I'd have to raise my hand and correct them on the quote. Uh, which, by the way, when you know the Nietzsche quote by heart in church, never a good sign. Uh, or, you know, the, the evolution guy would show up, you know, every couple of months and he'd make some ridiculous claim about how, you know, we have evidence of past animals, but we have no evidence of transitional animals. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, it's called punctuated equilibrium, you know, like and people would look at me like I had a dick on my face, you know, like it was it, it was unbelievable uh, the way that it really changed. Um, the kinds of conversations you could have. But, you know, again, I, I think I inherited some really interesting things from it. I mean, uh, my interest in philosophy basically came out of my interest in theology. So, you know, I have an indebtedness to it. Um, but I also, at this point in time, feel like it's gone horribly awry, particularly in the United States. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. It's not that I'm agnostic uh, or that I'm atheist. It's that it's just not meaningful to me. Uh, and 
the fact that it's not meaningful to me does not mean that I, I can't think that it's meaningful for others. Right. But, uh, I don't need it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Uh, <laughs> and that's hard for me. Right. So, you know, I think it's a bizarre system, right? The sense a, of the sense of justice and grace, you know, basically who's going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell. And that, yeah. that the Bible is the best means of communication that the creator of the universe decided would be the best way to communicate his ideas to the, yeah, to, mean, the to the people that he loves and wants in heaven. Right. But I mean, before the age, the end of the age of miracles, which always sounds like that moment, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings, where the elves are like, it's the age of men now, not the age of magic. Uh you know, before the end of the age of miracles, right, technically God had universal spiritual Twitter, right? He could just tweet to anyone directly he wanted to, you know, from, from Adam to Moses, etc. Uh, and they're all, they're, there's a whole Christian tradition of trying to explain why if he made it too clear, then there'd be no space for faith and for right. freedom. And, which is bullshit. Right. But yeah. I, I can't, I can't get behind that bullshit. No. Right. Why not just tell everybody and yeah. then give them the choice, yeah. right? So there's no, there's no reason why it eradicates freedom if God comes down and says, hey, I'm God. People could still choose to believe or not believe. That's right. Uh, like the devil has absolute knowledge of the existence of God, and he chooses to reject chooses it. otherwise, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't believe that. And, and so it, it makes very little sense to me that, that God would have sent his letters as they were. Uh, to one little group in one little place on earth, right? Uh-huh. So, right, we're supposed to believe that there's this period of time for which the only way um, to have anything like righteousness uh, was a strict adherence to the law. Mm. Uh, so even if, right, Christianity can square that uh, everyone has the choice, right, to, like, be redeemed and therefore God's a just God, during this period of time, God was definitively not just because mm. it was a legal order for which you only let one tribe in on the secret. Uh, right. That seems the definition of injustice. Right. Like mm-hmm. people who were in Mesoamerica didn't know that there was a law to be followed. Uh, and the idea that, you know, well, through inspiration, they could know the possibility of God. No, that works for Jesus. Right. Because knowledge and a relationship with God is sufficient to be sanctified in a, in a sort of Christian contract. But under the Jewish contract, it was the law or nothing at all, which means that everyone for whom the law wasn't revealed to was just straight screwed. Uh, so I, you know, that is an illogical system that makes no sense to me. Like what God would want, you know, in some sense, only, uh, the local restaurant, um, yeah. that only certain people could eat at. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yahweh is yeah. that God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, it's too problematic for me to want to work through. I think some amazing, beautiful, important people have found the like, spiritual nutrition they needed uh, in Judaism and Christianity to do amazing things. Um, But the reverse is impossible for me to imagine, which is that had it not been for Judaism or Christianity, they couldn't have done those things. But now you are, you're very biblically literate. You've studied, you've read and studied the Bible and stuff. And I I actually think there are a lot of things that are important about it. Well, just in our society, being in our culture, I think it's pretty important to be biblically literate so that you know, you you know the reference to a lot of art and a lot of just our culture. Sure. But also I think some of the concepts are actually important. I actually think grace is an amazing intellectual invention, right? It runs contrary to almost every other human belief, which is that generosity ought to be given even when it's not deserved mm-hmm. actually that's a it's a it's an amazing idea it's uh, different than forgiveness right right yeah. because forgiveness presumes that there's some kind of contract right that that there has been kind of a debt either let go of but 
it almost always actually involves a, a relationship of power. So only a powerful person can forgive someone else, which always puts the person to be forgiven in a kind of supplicant position, right? Like, oh, well, thank you for forgiving me. Whereas grace is just like, you know, I'm just being generous to you because the world's a better place when we're generous, mm -hmm. right? It's not an exchange. It's not in the sort of politics of gift giving. It just is. Mm -hmm. uh, and it ought to be. It's a, it's a, it's a virtuous way to live, right? Uh, I like that. Okay, so let's let's uh, let's move along here because I I kind of want to uh, like show off my nerd friend, you know, and and so I did something. I went completely against the nature of the show, and I prepared something. Okay, <laughs> it's just gonna be a quick trivia, random trivia. Okay, <laughs> random trivia. Oh dear God, I'm gonna fail at this. And part of me, you know, wants to you know kind of show off how much you do know, and then part of me wants to stump you, you know. So right. I'm a, I'm a little torn. Okay, you know, uh, it's it's been my great shame that I can almost never win a game of Trivial Pursuit. I rock the first five triangles before anybody gets close. And then that stupid fucking green sports triangle <laughs> stares me in the face the whole rest of the game while I can watch, I mean, the dumbest human being slowly scrape from behind and devastate me every single time. Uh, I'm convinced it was, it's, it's one of those guys that used to jump me in high school to design that game. Okay, so now uh, I'm going to call this uh, getting to know the treasure troll of information, Jairus. Okay, are you ready, buddy? Troll away. <laughs> okay, so everyone at home, play along, and you can, like, guess whether or not Jairus will know it. Okay. Okay, which of America's original 13 states took its name from Elizabeth I? From Elizabeth I? Yeah, is this easy? No. Uh, that's, that's not so easy. Um... Which of the original 13? Carolina, I think. Um, I have no idea. Final answer? Yeah. That's wrong. Oh, what is it? Virginia. I don't. Oh, I have no idea what it's, it's in uh, <laughs> Like, <laughs> She was the virgin queen. There you go. Virginia. Yeah. Okay, what do you call a group of crows? Oh, crap. Jairus. <laughs> uh, I actually know this one. Uh, a group of crows is called a... I don't know. It has like nothing to do with what you think a group might be called. I know. It's it's got a kind of random name that also fuck? means you're, other things. I, I, you're o for two. I'm it's a murder two. of crows. That's right. It's a murder of crows. How fucking badass is that? Uh, it is badass, and it's actually the reason why it was bugging me is it's uh, it's the name of of one of my favorite episodes of Justified, which is right now my very favorite <laughs> TV show. Tell me something cool about crows. Um, they're one of the most intelligent uh, birds. Uh, and they're one of the few birds that has tool use. Um, so they have a tendency to build nests out of other things and not just like out of stuff, but like know how it can be used. So they tend to steal string, um, other objects. They're kind of, uh, they're the hoarders of the, of the bird world. Nice. There you go. Okay, let's, get, let's start the comeback here. Um, what is rennet? R-E-N-N-E-T. Rennet uh, is uh, scraped from the stomach lining of cows, um, and it's actually uh, it's a naturally occurring emulsifier for cheese. Uh, so part of the reason why, for instance, uh, a lot of uh, soy cheeses are not vegetarian, mm. uh, even though you'd be like, hey, it's soy cheese, it's almond cheese. The fake cheeses that melt really well have rennet in it. It's an uh, enzyme, right? Yeah. Um, and the the enzymes just it's it's what makes cheese creamy. I, I consider myself a bit of an amateur <laughs> cheesemaker. Uh, I I do. I you know there's something. It's the science nerd in me. I just 
I like knowing how to make things. Um, I actually spent a unhealthy amount of time learning to make my own antibiotics. Um, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I would say it was a period, but now it just seems a permanent feature of my life that I, send a, I, I think a lot about the possibility of an apocalypse. Uh, and I think part of that is inherited from being part of a, an apocalyptic cult called Christianity. Yeah. Uh, and part of it's also just because, you know, there's a tremendous amount of instability in the world. And one of the things I was thinking about at one point in time, actually living on the compound, uh, right, would be like, how would we make it work here uh, in the absence of order and an economy? And I could think about knowing how to do most of the stuff I would want to be able to do. But one of the things I thought about was like, if one of the kids got sick with even a pretty basic infection, I wouldn't want to watch them die. Uh, and so I was like, it can't be that hard, right? It's just mold. So yeah, so I spent some time learning how to make and refine antibiotics because I feel like in the grand world of skills, I might not be able to fix a car, but you know, people might think I was pretty valuable if I could make antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what year was the Great Chicago Fire? I think it was 1901. That's way off. 1919, I don't know. <laughs> 1871. Oh, there you go. What started it? Well, the myth is that Lizzie or, the, you know, whatever, whoever's cow kicked over a bucket and the whole thing went to shit. Um, but that's mythology. I think that's that's myth. But it is amazing. You can really tell. I kind of feel like, you know, not that we should burn cities down. Uh, but one of the great things about Chicago is how well the city is planned. Uh, and I feel like they only got to do that because they had to start over at a point in history where people put some really serious thought in the city planning uh, yeah and so as a result you know i think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the united states yeah there is very few times in society when you can hit the reset button right right well uh there may be more times than we'd like but generally it's a horror show it so. involves a genocide or something like that. yeah, yeah or a nuclear <laughs> bomb or you know uh the plague um so in general resets are not so fun okay what percentage of the air in our atmosphere is composed of nitrogen and you can I, you can give me like a five percent range, you know. Uh, I think nitrogen is, I would say between seven and eleven percent. Seven and eleven percent. Yeah. It's seventy eight, Jarius. Seventy eight percent nitrogen. Yeah. Oh. Jesus Christ. Oh, I know. Oh, I this knew is that not going how I planned. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe ask me questions when I've slept. But okay, this one's easy. Which uh, yeah. famous family owned a cat named Socks? Uh, the Clintons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Right now, if you're if you're if you're betting, bet against me. Okay, what is uh, Dennis the Menace's uh, last name? My dear God! Oh my God! Uh, I never read the the funding papers as they were. Dennis the Menace's last name? Well, Hastert. Did Dennis Hastert <laughs> was he originally Dennis the Menace? No, because he was a real asshole of a Speaker of the House. The Hastert rule is still giving us. <laughs> Quite the pain in the ass. Uh, Dennis Mitchell. Mitchell. Oh, oh! I knew I should have waited half a second. There. I knew it. It just took me a second. I just had to like, I had to put it back together. We I, said that at the exact same time. I think. I think I was actually a little ahead of you. Well, let me check the tape. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you can check the tape. Okay, I, I'm going to give you that one that's four, okay? I still prefer to think that Dennis Hastert was that annoying little <laughs> blonde-headed shit, but continue. Okay, who killed the Minotaur? And I have no idea what that is. Hercules. No. No, Achilles? No. Well, what Minotaur is a half man, half bull. I think Hercules killed the Minotaur, no? It starts with a T. I have no idea. Jesus Christ. It's Theseus? 
Oh. How do you say that? Yeah, Theseus. What is this from? Uh, it's from Greek mythology, but uh, I thought... Uh, were you not allowed to study Greek mythology <laughs> when you were a kid? <laughs> well, <laughs> close. Oh, my God. Okay, you know what? I'm going to give you a bonus question, okay? Since oh you failed so miserably. I did fail miserably. Okay, here you go. For Super Bowl Forty. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's not even, like, Super fair. Bowl Forty in 2006, right? Mm-hmm. It was in Detroit. Okay. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they beat which team? The quarterback of the team that they beat was Matt Hasselbeck. That doesn't mean anything to me. But the fact that it was in Detroit means that they were either Lions or Tigers and definitely not Bears. Uh, I think it would be the Detroit Lions. No, because it was just played in Detroit. Yeah. I don't right I'm, now. Can I just right say now? I'm impressed with myself that I that I could remember the difference between the Detroit baseball team and the Detroit ah, football team. That is interesting. Yeah, the quarterback for the for that team that got beat now yeah. is yeah. Russell Wilson. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> okay, I want to be clear about something. Uh, I stopped watching the Super Bowl when I stopped going to church. Uh, it was like a expectation that we go to the Super Bowl because they would stop the Super Bowl at the halftime and make us watch. These horrible videos by uh, who was that super outspoken evangelical basketball player who was like not gonna have sex before he's married? Green oh, something green. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that was the big moment in the Super Bowl. Was a bunch of promise keeper future mm. Christian athletes. I hated every minute of it. This team uh-huh. just won the Super Bowl in 2014. Oh well, that's interesting. Um, this was between uh, Colorado and Washington, right? So Seattle is the only team in Washington, I think, that has a sports team. Uh-huh. Uh, What's their team called? Uh, are they the Seahawks? <laughs> yeah. There you go. The Seahawks versus the Denver Broncos. Come here. Turn around. I'm going to give you a wedgie. <laughs> Come here. Don't Come even here, try. nerd. I've got, I've got boxers on. You can't wedgie with boxers. They just rip. I love it. I mean, this is just like an annoying American kind of try to shame a nerd, you know? Like, sure, I know yeah. this is douchey of me to, to try to make fun of you for no, not no. paying attention to this, you know, ridiculous distraction, you know, in, I, in our culture I, that I we should, value so highly. You know, you know, what's funny is I would actually know the question or the answer to this immediately uh, because normally I'm on Facebook. Uh, and so uh-huh, I, uh-huh. everything I know about sports is because there are people I like who watch sports. Yeah, have you uh, been off Facebook for been, the last couple of weeks? I have been because uh, the wind in that crazy windstorm we had blew open my office window, <laughs> blew the giant, wait for it, nerd climax X-Files poster <laughs> off that's framed behind my desk <laughs> and spun it around the room so fast that it actually launched a cup of coffee over my desk back onto my computer and drained the entire cup of coffee into the laptop so i've been computerless uh for like a week and a half two weeks oh uh it's weird i feel like yeah strangely like out of sync out of date yeah i don't know what to do okay that just just this is just bonus question just for shits and giggles uh what is the main ingredients to gunpowder saltpeter and um sulfur and, and uh, I used to make gunpowder. <laughs> saltpeter, sulfur, and um, it's a derivative of carbon, but I, in um, the form of uh, I don't know, like graphite or something. Charcoal. Charcoal. Okay, there you go. Two out of three. Yeah. Well, I said carbon, right? That's that's all you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're just breaking up carbon from coal to add to sulfur and saltpeter. Uh, the internet told me to say was, charcoal. Okay, well, it would have the same function. Um, what you're adding with charcoal is carbon. 
which burns, which is the important part. Saltpeter is also what they supposedly gave to soldiers to keep them from wanting to, you know, do it with each other. <laughs> yeah. What happens when you're hopped up on saltpeter? Can't get it in erection. Are you serious? Yeah. Makes some things explode and makes others not explode. <laughs> Holy shit, I was wondering why Caitlin bought some of that. And she was, yeah. I think she was putting some of that in my coffee. Yeah. She said it lower your blood pressure. You just, you know, it's yeah. a little more targeted than that. Yeah. Uh, I would just like to say that it's sort of disturbing that I know how to make gunpowder, but I don't know Greek mythology. <laughs> My Texas roots are showing. Okay, so speaking of gunpowder, uh, your research as a you're a professor at the University of Hawaii, correct? In uh, the political science department, right? Right. And you specialize in conflict, right? Uh, sure. Uh, but particularly war. Um, so there are other kinds of conflict besides war, but I, I mostly study war and organized killing would be, I would say, my area of expertise. Oh, that's lovely. So in relation to the U.S., what's one of the like shadiest things that the U.S. has done in a conflict in war? Uh, the bombing of Dresden was pretty rough, uh, but I think recently is what we're going to go for. There's uh, there's two kinds of uh, drone tactics that have been used recently that I find kind of the most despicable. One's called a signature strike, and one's called a double tap strike. Uh, and a signature strike uh, uses a behavioral algorithm to target someone because of basically the way that we do racial profiling. So you're in an area we consider a war zone, uh, which is very loosely defined these days because we now define them as conflict zones. Uh, and you're male, and you're of a certain age. Uh, and you have a gun, um, and that's enough to get you blown up. So the fact that we wouldn't even try to identify, even though we have a capability oftentimes to identify those people we'd kill, um, I find kind of gutless empathetic. Uh, the second is, I think, maybe the most horrifying, and it's the one that is most in violation of international law, which is called a double tap strike which uh, is a strategy of hitting a particular target because you think that there was someone there who was really important. You know, maybe they were associated with Al-Qaeda. Maybe they were helping get guns across the border. And you fly back around for a second strike after the first responders get there. So, like, anything from Red Cross to ambulances to someone just trying to help you because, you know, someone blew off your leg, you hit it the second time. Uh, one, we're never supposed to target first responders, right? They're supposed to be a kind of do not touch class of human beings, mm -hmm. right? Because they put their lives on the line for other people's lives. Seems reasonable to me. Um, but the argument is those first responders may resuscitate or save the life of the person we're trying to hit. So the only way to guarantee the outcome of the assassination is to also assassinate those that may keep them alive. Uh, and that's a double tap strike. How often is this going on? Uh, the recent UN report on U.S. drone practices makes it appear as if it is not uncommon. And then just the collateral damage involved with drone strikes has been pretty pathetic, no? Uh, you know, it, here's the thing. Uh, drones kill substantially fewer people than aerial attacks, right? Aerial bombardment kills the most people ever. Uh, the next worst is sending in a bunch of soldiers who are going to be scared to death and, you know... Uh, trigger happy. Yeah, trigger happy is the wrong way to put it, right? Trigger frayed, right? So special ops people tend to not pull the trigger when they're afraid. Uh, people who've never been in war zones before tend to pull the trigger when they're afraid or not pull the trigger when they're supposed to, right? They, they pull the trigger at the wrong time. Uh, and in general, right, soldier's job 
is to kill people, right? That's what they're trying to do. So that tends to produce a lot of casualties. Drones produce fewer casualties than aerial bombings and ground invasions. However, aerial bombings and ground invasions are expensive uh, financially and politically, right? You end up with casualties. Uh, wars have to come to an end. Uh, we decide to negotiate with people because we don't want to bear the cost of that war. The problem with drone attacks is while they produce at any given strike fewer casualties right, and less collateral damage, um, they are, in comparison to, to other forms of war, virtually free. Uh, they cost very little and they cost us nothing politically at home. Uh, and so they're like the Prius of warfare, right? They get like 110 miles to the gallon, right? They can just continue to produce that low level of collateral damage indefinitely. Uh, so it's only a matter of time before the fact that they, quote unquote, produce less collateral damage doesn't matter uh, because we will be in the business of producing collateral damage daily for decades uh, when we very rarely could keep a war going for five or six years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's dangerous. So it's not that they're not more accurate. They are. It's that uh, they're more accurate in a way that is transforming warfare, which will mean that we will be in the business of killing people all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. not just going to war and getting out of war. Mm -hmm. And then uh, complain about Obama and his role in this. It's become a central component of his foreign policy. Um, the people I'm really pissed at, though, is I'm not really pissed at Obama. You know, I know I should be, and I legitimately think Obama is a good enough guy that he goes to bed every night thinking he failed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, he, for me, is a tragic figure. Yeah. The people I'm pissed off at are the, the Democratic Party, and in some ways myself, which is we have not come up with a better foreign policy for him to replace it with. Uh, we, right. we spent 50 years letting Republicans write foreign policy. And every day Obama gets told by some security briefing that there are, you know, 100,000 people on the planet who want to destroy us and that there are millions of Americans that are under threat. And whether or not that's true or not, right, you can be cynical of it, but he has to live with that. Uh, and every day some security analyst tells him that the best thing he can do is allow for somebody at the CIA who's top secret to make the decision to kill this guy. Um, he may not choose the individuals who get killed at this point in time, mm. but he made the decision to give that power to somebody, right? So there's no plausible no. deniability at this point. Um, but for me, the problem is, right, we haven't given him something better. And it's, uh, it's too easy to say, well, just don't do it. Because um, I don't think there's such a thing as standing still when you're in the American presidency. That's also the tragedy of America. We've built a world where there are 100,000 people who should hate us uh, and have every reason to want to fight against us. Uh, and we haven't figured out how to undo that. Uh, yeah, but I still want to take those people out. Right. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I want I to don't, make sure that it, it's them. You know? I don't always, right? Sometimes uh, I think we should spend a lot more time trying to to remediate why they want to do it. It can be uh, a multi-pronged approach, Jairus. It, it can be a multi-pronged approach. Uh, it doesn't have to be either or. But, uh, but there really are people. But drone warfare is a lot cheaper than trying to make up for mistakes. Well, in this economy? So it's uh, <laughs> the problem is when you think you have the option to eliminate a problem rather than fix it, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to eliminate it. Let's do both. Do a little eliminating here. <laughs> I, think, I think the elimination will mean that we are... As long as the elimination works to a certain measure, I think we're unlikely to ever try to do something substantial about it. Uh, you know, the yeah, it's it's sustainable warfare, right? We've uh, we figured out that the hybrid of war, um, it runs on less, right? But it still uses oil. There's still a cost. Yeah, uh, we can just keep it going for a lot longer.
Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> Are you optimistic about the future? Uh, I, I hate that question. I, you know, I got that question from a student who dropped my graduate class recently. They said, is there going to be a happy ending? Uh, and I looked at them and I just wanted to be like, there is no ending. Who the, who the fuck thinks there's going to be a happy ending? What does that even mean? Right. We all die. Uh, and none of us get to choose how, you know, I just, uh, I don't know what that means. I, you know, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about watching my girls grow up, but I also live with the fact that I can't guarantee that that'll happen. Um, but drones don't make me feel any more capable of controlling that outcome. But they do make me feel a little bit less like I'm in control of that. I don't like being part of a country uh, that gives people a good reason to want to kill me. So That's a good way of putting it. I like that. So I would, you know, I would prefer otherwise. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I feel more cynical. Actually, hold on. This is perfect. Let me uh, let me grab my trombone really quick for one. Okay, thanks to the beauty of editing, I can make it seem like I had this ready standing by uh, this whole time. Here you go, Jairus. This is what I think about that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, the best we can hope for is that life is as good as a great New Orleans funeral. Well, thanks so much, Jairus, for coming on, man, and bumming everybody out. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you. I hope you do get to watch your daughters grow up. I hope you successfully keep them off the pole. I'm not too worried about that. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Buddy. Thanks for having me on, man. It's great to be here. Uh, maybe for next time you could come up with like a long list of like terribly unethical and despicable things that the government is doing in our name and that way we could feel real patriotic you know? sure yeah we'll do it on July 4th sounds good right on everybody well that was that I uh, hope you dug it so now just go and try and enjoy the rest of your freaking lives you animals I will talk at you later see ya